0: Now, I'm going to be fully honest with you. I know absolutely nothing about the people in that video. I don't know their backstory. I just found that video online. Uh, but I can appreciate two things about them. Number one, I appreciate the fact that they chose to make their pregnancy announcement using cake. I don't know if you caught the last sentence of that uh, video, but the guy said, I was wondering why she wanted us to have cake and was so insistent on cake and my response to that was like, why not have cake? I mean, you don't really need a pregnancy announcement to have cake, just let's be honest with you. But I do appreciate them using cake. I don't know what the cake said, and, uh, but I appreciate the fact that they use cake because let's be honest, cake almost makes every announcement feel at least a little bit better regardless of what it is. But the second thing that I appreciate about it is the level of joy and excitement that accompanied this news they received. There were tears, there were hugs, there were people almost falling on the floor. And it wasn't just one or two people. Like It it was an overreaction of joy uh, that, that went through the whole family. Everybody was so filled with joy and excitement that this one lady was pregnant. This one lady was going to have a child. It's almost hard to watch... That video, and I've watched it several times, it's almost hard to watch that and not be drawn in to their joy and to their excitement that this announcement that this baby's on the way. It's almost hard to watch it and not just find yourself even excited, let's be honest, for these strangers that you know nothing about, just like I know nothing about them. Like, I've watched this video, and it's almost hard for me not to be excited for these people and even though I have no investment with them and I know nothing about them you see there this baby that they can't see or hold yet in this video is already filling their life with joy just the announcement that this pregnancy is coming there's this expectation something to look forward to almost this promise that the months and years ahead are going to be filled with precious moments precious memories that they're going to cherish for the rest of their lives and and there's this promise that things are going to be good and their hearts are filled with gladness and over and over and over again. And I imagine that the joy of that moment, the long awaited pregnancy or this long prayed for pregnancy, I imagine that's kind of a timeless emotion. Right? We don't have videos from the first century. We don't have videos of, of most of the centuries of our history. But I imagine that even in the first century, people. Maybe not responding exactly like that to pregnancy announcements, but I imagine the same amount of joy and the same amount of excitement was there. And, and we're going to look as we uh, get a little closer to the Christmas story this morning uh, to a, an exciting, exciting, joyous announcement that came in, uh, almost exactly like that with, a, with the ex- expectation of the birth. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about these promises that God has made to his people and these promises that he's made to us. And we've been kind of working through these promises, looking through different characters uh, of the Christmas story. And we started a few weeks ago uh, with a guy named Simeon and this promise of hope that there is hope. There's something to hold on to. And then last week we looked at the shepherds and we looked at these people that the rest of society had written off. And these guys who really lived their life and their daily life in struggle and chaos. And to them, there was this fulfillment of the promise of peace, that peace was for everybody. that included them. That included the people that nobody else considered worthy of peace. God says there is peace. And so we're going to continue this look at promises this morning. And we're going to look at the promise of joy this morning. And it's a promise that starts all the way back like the rest of them have in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to see the, the promise made in Isaiah chapter 40. Um, so if you've got your, your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 40, it will be verses 3 through 5 there. Uh, but then we're going to kind of see it played out in the first chapter of Luke. We're going to see it carried over to Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 8. And we're going to be introduced to this guy named Zacharias. And uh, and, and I imagine Zacharias uh, didn't exactly respond like the family in that video, but he gets this unexpected pregnancy announcement for his family that's going to bring that same level of joy, or should bring that same level of joy, not just to his family, but to our family as well. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, hopefully you found Isaiah 40 or you found Luke chapter 1. Uh, Like I said, we're going to start in Isaiah 40, read verses 3 through 5, and then we'll switch over to Luke chapter 1. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. And uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is the promise of the joy that's coming. Then we flip over to Luke, the beginning chapter of Luke. And we'll start in verse 8 of Luke chapter 1. And it says, When his division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, "'Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in in his mother's womb.' He will turn the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before in the spirit of power, or excuse me, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord, a prepared people. Verse 18. "How can I know this?" Zechariah asked the angel. "For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you for this time of year that we celebrate over and over again. God, I thank you for this Christmas season and and all that it means for all of us. Sitting in this room or watching online, God, beyond these walls, God, this is the joyous news. This is the greatest news of all of history and all of mankind. God, there should be joy. There should be rejoicing. God, there should be excitement at this announcement that the one who was coming to prepare the way for the one who was coming, Father. And God, as we look now and all of that has passed, God, I pray that our excitement and our joy for this moment has not faded away. God, I pray this morning for the folks that are sitting in this room, God, who need to hear your joy. God, for folks that aren't experiencing it right now, God, that regardless of what life is thrown their way, God, they are looking and searching for a place to rejoice. They're looking and searching for something to be excited about. And God, I pray that you speak to them, God, where they are at this morning, Father. And God, I pray for all of us sitting in here, God, that you will remind us of the joy that's found in your presence. And God, I pray that as we prepare, even to now, to prepare to leave this place, God, I pray that you remind us that the joy that you have for us is the joy that we have to spread around the world, Father God. So I pray, God, that we are students at your feet this morning. God, that you will speak to our hearts, fill us with joy so that we rejoice. But God, fill us with a challenge to go beyond where we are now, to expect more than we expect now, to see you high and lifted up, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us, Father. And so, God, in our time together, I pray that we are comforted, but I pray that we are challenged as well. And God, I pray that you speak. God, and I pray that our hearts are laid open and bare to you this morning so that we are ready to hear your word. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mariana Best is an associate editor for an online newspaper based in California. In Kind of like those people on that video, I have no idea anything about her, except uh, I've read a couple of her articles, and she is really trying to prepare people and make sure that people are prepared for Christmas. And I can tell you that because the past week, she's written two articles. One of them, and this is the title of it, is Order Your Gifts by These Dates to Make Christmas Shipping deadlines, right? And so if you're an online shopper, you may want to go consult her article because what she does in that article, um, and she just wrote it this week, is she goes through most of the major online realtors and she tells you um, this is where you need to be. This is the if you're going to order something, this is the date you need to order it by. Right? If you don't order by this date, it may not make it to wherever you want it to be on Christmas. Right? And, and so she gives you in that article this whole list of, of online sellers, this whole line, whole list of online realtors that um, that you need to make sure you meet these deadlines. And then the another article that she wrote is that not only do you need to pay attention to the the deadlines that the stores give you, but you need to pay attention to the deadlines that the shipping companies give you as well. Because some of you may not be buying things that are shipped. You may be sending stuff to other people. And so she writes in this article about the shipping deadline. She said that Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Now let me pause just right there, okay? Just so you're aware... Christmas is two weeks from today, okay? I don't know if you've marked your calendar for that or not, but Christmas does fall on a Sunday, okay? Let me get myself in trouble and go ahead and tell you that, yes, we will have church on Christmas Sunday, all right? And and I'm not picking on anybody, but if you're going to cancel church... It's probably not a good idea to do it on the day that you're supposed to be celebrating what church is all about. Okay, so that's just my stance. So, yes, we will be here. I hope you join us, whether you're in person or online. We'll be here at 10 o'clock. So come worship us. It is on Sunday. Let me get back out of trouble. Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Making shipping deadlines slightly earlier than in 2012, and so to help you out, she writes and gives you the information that UPS gives you as well. And so basically, this is what you need to know. So if you're if you need these, here they are for you. Right? UPS tells you these deadlines. That if you're going to ship something by ground, you might want to go ahead and do it. All right, that's what they'll tell you. Right? If you want three days, select then you need to ship by, by Tuesday, December 20th. If you want second-day air, you need to ship by Wednesday, November 21st. And if you want next-day air, then your deadline is Thursday the 22nd right now I know that's not the next day to Christmas but in shipping terms that's the next day so your last chance to ship something expensive as it is next day here is Thursday December the 22nd so those dates are the ones that UPS has provided for us because those dates come with a promise right and UPS has given you these dates and this with this promise that if you get your stuff to us by these dates and select these shipping methods We will get your stuff where it needs to go. And this is our promise, that if you get to us and you get paid for the right shipping, then we will get your stuff to where it needs to go before Christmas, right? Now, i got to be honest with you. That's a fairly big promise, right? That's a big promise for anybody that can promise they'll get your stuff anywhere before Christmas time, especially with all the craziness going on. But it's an extremely big promise for a company who's going to handle 750 million packages between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Did you hear that? 750 million packages packages. They are honestly, UPS is expecting this year to be their biggest shipping year ever. They, they have up their uh, expectations by 50 million from previous years and they think they will handle 750 million packages, will reach their destination on time with just a little extra planning and a little extra preparation. And so to make all of these promises that we're going to get all 750 million packages, where they need to go, when they need to be there, then we know there's going to take some prep work to do that, right? And some of you may know this, that UPS didn't wake up yesterday and be like, oh, we got a whole bunch more packages. We suddenly are overwhelmed with all these packages. Now, they know this has come. They've anticipated this. And so all the way back in October, they started hiring extra help. And so from November, from the late October, all the way through the second week of January, because they're anticipating you sending some of that stuff back, um, they hired an extra hundred thousand workers, Right? That, that's 100,000 extra people they've hired just from October and November just through January. And some of those people will be in uh, facilities that sort the mail and separate the mail. Some of those people will be extra drivers on the road. Some of those people, their jobs, I love these, they're, they're called jumpers or runners. Some of you may have encountered a jumper or a runner and you don't know it, right? A jumper or a runner is not the driver of the UPS truck or the FedEx truck or anything else, right? Their job is just what it says. There is a driver who knows the route, and he doesn't leave the driver's seat. Instead, I don't know if you've ever seen a UPS truck that have this little seat on the side over here that's in the truck, but barely in the truck, and it's the jump seat. And this is where the extra help sits. This is where the elves sit for this Christmas going on, right? And their job is literally to grab the package, and when the truck slows down, they jump, right? Stop or not, when the truck slows down, you jump out, you take off, you drop the package on the porch, and then you take off running back to the truck, and you hope the truck is still slowed down when you get back to the truck, right? That's what the jumper's job is, right? We had a good friend who worked not for UPS but for FedEx, and he said that he, he wasn't a jumper or a runner, he was a driver, uh, but he said that between Thanksgiving and New Year's, he lost an average of 10 to 15 pounds every single year, right? Now, when all the rest of us are gaining 10 to 15 pounds between Thanksgiving and New Year's, he's losing that. Why? Because this massive amount of work that goes into this. And so UPS knows this. They've started hiring extra people. They've started putting all these extra people on trucks and in trucks. And they're doing it all because they know that if there's not this planning and preparation, then they're not going to fulfill the promise they've made. That, That if there's not this planning and preparation, that they become less effective. That packages will not get delivered. They'll get left behind. And the promise they made to you will not happen. And you will find yourselves very disappointed or others or, or will find themselves very disappointed at Christmas because you had this expectation they would keep their promise. And to keep their promise, they had to make prep work. They had to get all of this stuff in line for this to happen. You see, the same is true with the promise of joy, that this joy of Christmas, for it to be fully experienced, for it to be widespread, for it to be as comprehensive as possible, then it's not just a promise, it has to come with some preparation. There has to be some preparation for this joy that's coming. And I told you last week when we talked about Isaiah, that Isaiah shows up on the scene in the nation of Israel, and he shows up, he's there in the nation of Israel in a very unsettled time. The Assyrians are, are building an empire. The Assyrians are, 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 their military might is unmatched by anybody they're around. And, and they're honestly just kind of rolling over nation after nation after nation. And they are spreading their empire. And they're becoming closer and closer and closer to Israel. And actually, by the time Isaiah writes some of his, they've already captured some of Israel. Or all of Israel. And so he's telling them Israel shows up on the scene, or Isaiah shows up on the scene. In the midst of this, this is where Isaiah is telling them, he said, listen, there's bad news. But I've got some good news too. But the bad news is the Assyrians are coming. And the Assyrians are hard. And they are tough. And they are bad. And they're coming. And without a doubt, we don't stand a military chance against them. Right? That's what he tells them. And you're like, way to go, coach. You're the best cheerleader we've ever had. Right, except Isaiah doesn't just leave them with this, they're coming and they're going to destroy you and you might as well take off for the hills. He leaves them with this good news, and the good news is that the destruction and the chaos that's going to happen, it's not going to last forever. That the God who allows this chaos, He's coming back and He's coming to be with you. And there will be a time in the future where you will hold God's glory, that you will see His glory again. So along this bad news, there's this good news that a military defeat really doesn't mean the end of the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean the end of their relationship with God. It doesn't mean the end of the God that they serve. That Isaiah is giving the people this promise of hope and this peace in the midst of this chaos and destruction and then we look at chapter forty. He gives them another promise, and this promise is there is joy because He will be with us. And I want you to look with me in verse five as we see the promise that He makes. In verse five, He says, "The glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it." For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And this is the promise that He's delivered. That things might look bad now, but there's coming a time when God's glory will shine and it will be evident to everyone. And and things are going to be terrible. Things are going to be tough. But you just need to know there's coming a time when God's glory will shine. and, And everybody will look at the nation of Israel and people will be jealous of the nation of Israel. And they will want to have what the nation of Israel has. And He says listen, you should be excited that even though it's tough and it's hard now there is joy coming because the the one is coming. The glory of God is coming and everyone will behold it. But he tells them in verses 3 and 4 that listen, not everybody's ready for this yet. And so we want to back up for a moment to verse 3 and we see the preparation that takes place before this joy can have its first full effect. And so I want you to look with me in verse 3 because this is where the preparation happens for this coming joy. In verse 3, Isaiah says, There's a voice. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness and make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Prepare the world and the nation of Israel for the greatest joy that's ever been experienced. He doesn't need to hire a hundred thousand seasonal workers. He just needs one. He needs one willing and obedient heart there will be this voice that will cry out. But I want you to notice in verse 3, he gives us some specific places of where this voice needs to be heard. Some specific places in the, the geographical area that this prep work needs to happen. Right? And so in that verse, he, he says there needs to be this voice, there needs to be this crying out to the wilderness and to the desert. Right? And wildernesses and deserts, they're not the comfortable places in, the, in Jerusalem or in Israel. Right? These are the barren places. The, the wilderness are the places of judgment. They're places of hopelessness. These are not places of joy. These are places of confusion and chaos. And you only have to think back to the time of, of through Israel's history. This is the description of when the Israelites refused to go into the promised land. They refused to trust the promise of God. And so what do they do? They wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. They weren't there because they wanted to be. They weren't there because this was the exciting part in life. They weren't there because, hey, we really like to hang out in the wilderness or in the desert, whichever translation of that word you want to use at the time. They didn't hang out there because they wanted to. They hung out there because they refused to achieve and they refused to go into the place that God gave them. And so God says, fine, you don't want to go in? Here you go. And so when God speaks of a wilderness and He speaks of a desert, He's speaking of a place that is full of depression and a place of sadness. He's speaking of a place in in our lives and our times that are painful and are hurtful. He's speaking in places in our lives that honestly we don't want to go back to and we really don't even want to talk about it. And that this is where the message of God is. Is called out. It is calling to these places in our lives because these are the places that need to be prepared for this overwhelming joy that is coming. These are the places in our lives where God is ready to work. Then we get to verse 4. In verse 4, we see how this preparation takes place. In verse 3, it's where. In verse 4, this is how it's going to happen. In verse 4, he says, Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled, and every, in uneven ground. Will become smooth, and the rough places a plain. You see, God's building this word picture of building a road. And in that first century, and even before that, when a king was preparing to visit a place, they would take months and maybe even years to prepare a highway to get to them. All right, and the kings—you weren't just building a road for everybody; you were building a road for a king. And when you build a road for a king, you want it to be smooth. You want it to be flat. You want to impress the king with all the work you've done. And look how smooth and easy it is to get to our area. And so when the announcement was made that a king was coming, the people would gather together and they would start building these roads. And they would honestly do exactly what the Scripture says. If there were valleys that were so deep where you and I would walk through those valleys, oh, no, no, the king, he can't be made to walk through a valley. We're going to put a bridge here so the king can have this flat level space. And where you and I would spend effort and climb over these mountains and over these hills, no, 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 the king is coming. We're going to dynamite this thing. And this is where my West Virginia roots come out. Right? We're going to dynamite this mountain. And we're going to move this whole mountain. instead of going over top of it, we're going to go right through the middle of it. We're going to make this path flat. And we're going to make this path straight. And this place that is, is fine, our wagons have been over this for years and it's rough, but it's all right. No, 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 no. The king's coming. We're going to fix this. We're going to flatten this out because we don't want the king's wagon to rattle. We want it to be smooth and easy. And so God is painting this picture of preparing this highway that is set and it's smooth and it's flat. And He's painting this picture of building this highway where mountains are leveled and valleys are filled up with bridges and uneven ground is smoothed out. And He's making this picture of building this road. And as one of the commentators I read this week, he put it this way. He says that building roads is very much like the preparation God would do or must do in our hearts. They're expensive, but they deal with many different problems and environments. But for both of them, they take an expert engineer. You see, both of them a road, and what God does in our heart takes an engineer because it takes things that we cannot do. You see, before we move on to the fulfillment of this promise in Luke, I want to point out something that I'm going to be honest with you. I have read this passage of Scripture many, many times. And I have overlooked something that that this week I found in this passage of Scripture that has really changed the way I look at this passage of Scripture. And it's the the use of the verbs. You see, there's a difference in the way the verbs are used in verse 3 and the way they're used in verse 4. All right, so let me tell you and show you what I mean. In verse 3, the verbs are in an active, indicative verb, which means they're really a command to us, that, that we are to do these things. We are to prepare the way, that we are to make straight highways, that we are to make these things flat, and we are to make the straight highways. And then we find this difference. Right. So in verse 3, it's active, indicative. There's this command that Michael Rakes is to prepare this way. And then we get to verse 4. And in verse 4, the mood and the direction of the verb changes completely. It's not active, indicative anymore. It's passive, imperfect. Right? And passive means that I'm not the one doing the action. And imperfect means that it's a continual action. Right? So it's not a command for me to do. It's a passive action that is done to me or in me. Right, and so here's what I want you to understand: that this is when the passive voice is used. This is what God is doing. God is continually lifting up the valleys. God is doing it now, in the future. He's going to continue to knock down mountains. He's the one that removes the obstacles that stands between us and Him. And so we put this job, to, we put these two things together, and these verb tenses together, and we find out that verse three is our job, verse four is His job. You see, our job is to let Him work in the wilderness in the deserts of our life. Our job is simply to give them access to the areas of life that we've set are off limits and we don't want to go back to. Uh, Even the hard ones that we don't even want to talk about. Our job is to look at God and say, God, here it is. It's open to you. Now, verse 4. You come and do what only you can do in these terrible spots in my life. You see, the problem and the reason that so many of us miss the joy of Christmas is because we think our job is verse 4 instead of verse 3. We think it's our job to make the valleys level. We think it's our job to level the mountains. We think it's our job to smooth out all the rough patches in our life. We think it's our job to get our life right. We think it's our job to take all the obstacles between us and God and move all those things out of the way. And what we look at and see in verse 3 and 4 when we put them together is we can't do verse 4. Our job isn't to do verse 4. The command is for us to give access to Him in verse 3, to the hard parts of our life, to the messed up parts of our life, the parts we don't want to talk about, the mistakes that we made, the the errors that we made, the roughest patches in our life. Here it is, God. Now verse 4. You come and you make the bridges that need to be made. You come and you level these mountains that are too big for me. You smooth out all the rough edges because, God, I tried and I can't do it. You see, our job is, verse 4, to just give Him access. His job is to make all the options available, to make all the the pathway flat and smooth, to make the obstacles go away. You see, listen, the reason that we miss the joy of Christmas is because we don't realize that our job is not to make everything flat and smooth and perfect in our life. Our job is simply to give Him access, to let Him do what only He can do. Our job is to realize that in Advent and Christmas, there are things that we cannot do, and we'll miss the joy, in our lives we will miss the joy of Christmas if we think our job is to continually build on what he is already doing you see we will find we'll never find this time of joy because all we will find if we think our job is verse 4 is work and work and work and work you'll find yourself so exhausted and so worn out because you will find yourselves looking back at what you thought you were leveling and looking back at all the bridges you thought you were building. And you'll find yourself looking at all the rough spots you thought you were smoothing out. And you won't find any progress in them at all. Can I share with you one of the most defeating things in life? Is to put all of your efforts into something and see no results from it whatsoever. You see, we'll never find joy if we think our job is to build the bridges and to make, the, high, make the, the mountains level. We'll never find joy if we don't simply open our lives up to God and say, here we are, here's the rough parts, the nasty parts, the ugly parts of my life, here's the barren parts of my life. Now, God, You do what only You can do. You see, we'll never come to this place where we expect to find joy in the places that we should. We will, we'll never come to places like this in, chor- in churches and times of worship. And we'll never find joy here because we'll always be focused on what we have to do instead of what He can do and will do and only He can do for us. You see, we'll come to this place and we'll come every Sunday and we'll open up our Bibles every Sunday. We'll sing songs that are on a screen and none of it will be filled with joy because it will all be filled with work that we think we have to do. And the message is simply this. His job is to do the work. Our job is to give Him access to it. And when we confuse those two, we will find that our our efforts here become nothing more than religious exercises and rituals. And we will find ourselves trying to work harder and never achieving it. And that's the reason when we flip over to the New Testament, the, the joy that's found there is so overwhelming. Because at this point in Israel's history, that joy is so unexpected. I want you to fast forward from Isaiah to about 700 years from where is at. And we reach the story of this guy named Zechariah. And Luke introduces us to this guy named Zechariah. And, and what we know about him is pretty much what's given to us in the first chapter of Luke. And it tells us that in this first chapter of Luke that he's a priest. It tells us he has a wife named Elizabeth. And it tells us that both of them are well along in years, which is, by the way, Luke's words, not mine, um, Zacharias is pretty smart in his description of his wife a little bit later, and we'll talk about that. And he, but even though they're well along in years, they don't have children, and they're, they're not parents. And for them, this idea of being a parent, this fertility, this would be a desert place for them. This would be a hardship for them. This would be the spot that they don't want to talk about because everybody else in town will talk about it. Because for them in that century, to not have children was viewed that you were cursed. And you were shamed. There was some reason God didn't trust you to have children. And He withheld that from you. And so even though Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth that tells us they live in this righteous life, that this idea of being a parent, this idea of, of having fertility, this is a wilderness and this is a desert place that, that they don't want to visit because they can't. You see, but as a priest, Zachariah would have to go and he'd have to serve in the temple at certain times. And uh, the number of priests, had, had multiplied by the time we get to the first century. And so they didn't need all of them at the temple all at the same time because then you have a bunch of priests sitting around doing nothing. And I'm going to share with you, as a pastor, you get a bunch of pastors sitting around doing nothing, we just get in trouble, okay? Because we just start talking about stuff and we, we just find ourselves in trouble. And so God knew that. And so he, he developed this system of, hey, instead of having all these priests just sitting around doing nothing, why don't we kind of put this rotation in that this group of priests will come this time and this group of priests will come when they finished? And, and so we develop this kind of rotation system through these groups, right? And that's what's happening in the first century. And so Zechariah being part of that rotation, it tells us in verse 8 that it's his turn to serve, that it's his group, that they're they're called up to duty, it's their shift or whatever. And then even in the midst of that group, there's certain jobs that have to be done, right? So one of them has to be in charge of sacrifice, and one of them has to be in charge of, of leading the choir leading the chorus, and one of them has to be in charge of making the incense burn. They they get to go into the sanctuary, to the holy place. Now, not the Holy of Holies, right? That's reserved for one day a year and only the high priest, so they don't get to go in there, but they get to to go into the next place. As close as you can get to being in the presence of God without actually being in the presence of God. This is their holy place, and only one of them gets to go in there. Only one of them gets to to like this incense, and this incense is their, their picture of their prayers lifting up to God. And Zechariah gets chosen for this. In verse 9, it tells us he's he's kind of chosen by Lot. And we don't know what that Lot looked like. We don't know if they drew straws or we don't know how they picked. But it falls to him. And he's the only one allowed to go into the sanctuary, into this holy place. And, and, And as it's closed off to everybody else, he gets to do this. But as it happens that Zechariah is selected to be this one who burns incense. And in verse 10 of Luke chapter 1, it tells us that he goes into the sanctuary, into this holy place. And as he's in there, you see the rest of the nation of Israel, the rest of the people, they're all on the outside. And they're all lifting up prayers on the outside. And he goes in to burn this incense as kind of a picture their prayers are rising up to God. Right? So it's this picturesque idea, and he's in the sanctuary, everybody else is outside, and they're all praying, and they're not allowed to go in the sanctuary in the holy place. And while he's in there, all alone, he has this unexpected visitor. In verse 11, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. I'm reading on verse 12, Zechariah has the same reaction that most people in the Bible have when they encounter an angel. Verse 12 says that he was startled, and he was overcome with fear. Right? It literally says that fear fell on him. Right? It means that he was, for lack of a better term, he was petrified. He, he could not move because the weight of fear was so overwhelming to him. Right? And now the angel, he's not there to hurt him. He's not there to kill him. He's not there to, to wipe him out because he did something in the wrong order or to take him out because he did something wrong. He should have put it here and he put it there. Now, he's come to give him good news. We read in verse 13, the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zachariah." because your prayers have been heard your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will name him John in verse 14 and there will be great or there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth you see John or Zechariah gets the news that he'd been praying for for all of those years and I can't help but think, we don't have this in Scripture, but I can't help but think that, that maybe since he describes himself as old and his wife well on years, that, that maybe he gave up on that prayer. That maybe when he's in this moment, he's not praying anything for himself. He's praying for the nation of Israel. He's praying for their salvation. He's praying for for all the things that that nation needs. And then all of a sudden, he has this unexpected visitor show up. And this is great news. This is wonderful news that what you've been praying for all of these years, it's going to happen. Your wife is finally going to have a child and he's going to be a son. And a son, that think about it, Zachariah, he will carry on your family name. You finally have someone you can pass a legacy on to that that you'll have a son and all the guilt and shame that you and your wife have been facing and all these rumors and people talking about you behind your back, all that's going to go away. You're going to find yourselves accepted back in society and people are going to look at you completely different. And all of this will be joy and it will be a delight for you. And so what we should expect in this moment, we should expect what we saw on that video. We should expect screaming and yelling. We should expect this reaction like these families that saw for the first time or heard for the first time there was a baby on the way. And we should expect joy and excitement, but that's not how Zechariah responds. You skip down with me in verse 18. We see that instead of joy, Zechariah responds with a question. In verse 18, he says, How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am old, and my wife is well long in years. Now before we get too hard on Zechariah, let me show you the wisdom of Zechariah. Look how he described himself, and look how he described his wife. I'm old, and she's well long in years. She's aged well, is what he's saying. I'm just old, but my wife has aged gracefully. But the point is still the same. We're too old to have kids. This can't happen for us. And so he asks this question. And I want you to see, not so much the problem of Zechariah, but really this is an indictment not of him, but the priesthood and the people of Israel and their religion. You see, I don't think Zechariah is the problem here. I think there's this lack of expectation of what should have happened and what was supposed to go on in this moment, in this sanctuary. Because i got to share with you that if there was ever a place that the people of Israel expected to find joy, it should have been in this moment. It should have been in this place. They are in the sanctuary. They're in the holy spot. They're in the place that God has set apart from everywhere else in the world. And he says, this is where I will build my house. This is where I dwell. This is where you will come and you will worship me. And if we ever expect to find joy in Christ, if we ever expect to find joy in all of the nation of Israel, it should be in this spot. It should be when we go to worship him. And yet, what is Zechariah's response when something happens in there? He's shocked. And he's so confused. Because let's be honest, this doesn't happen. We, we don't do this angel encounter thing. It's honestly been 400 years really since we've had this kind of expectation of God. You see, what Zechariah expected was to walk into the sanctuary, to go over here and make sure the bread was right. And he expected to go over here and light the incense. He expected to spend a few moments in prayer. And then expected to turn and walk out. Check. We've done our religious duties for today. And then guess what? Tomorrow, somebody else will come. Or next month, whenever the rotation is, somebody else will come. And they'll check the bread, they'll light the incense, they'll say a few prayers, and they'll walk out. And then the next month. And this is what we've done for 400 years. You see, the problem was that when they should expected, when they had this promise of joy they quit looking for it. And they quit looking for it in the place that it should have been found. They quit looking for it in the sanctuary, in the midst of their worship. When God had called them together to worship for them, it just became a ritual for them. It just became what they did because this is what our religion tells us to do. And I can't help but think that many of us will miss the joy of Christmas because many of us will came into church Sunday morning. We tuned in online this morning and we have zero expectations of God doing something great. Do you hear me? We should walk into church every Sunday. Now, I'm not saying we walk into church expecting some angel to show up up here, right? I'm not saying we walk in, but we should walk into church every Sunday. We should sing every worship song, whether here or online. We should do every one of those, every moment of prayer. We should expect an encounter of God. And if we're not expecting an encounter of God in this moment, then when do you think He's going to show up? This is what we're here for. We're here to have a present moment, an encounter with God. And if we're not here for that, then you're just here to socialize. We're just here to sing some songs. We're just here to check something off our box. If any place in time we should expect the presence of God, to encounter the presence of God, to see Him do something amazing, it should be in our moments of worship. And so many of us will miss this joy of Christmas because it's just what we do. We just show up, We just sing the songs. We just hear this guy talk forever and ever and ever. And then we walk out. And next week we'll do the same thing. And the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. You see, the problem wasn't Zachariah's question. The problem was there was zero expectation because what was meant to be this relationship with the people of Israel had become nothing more than ritual and religion. And we lose joy when this place has zero expectations of an encounter in God. We lose joy when this, we let this mundane weekly task of coming to church replace the majesty of worship that happens when we are in His presence. You see, we'll find joy when we seek His presence, not a task to complete. You see, Zechariah walked in there with this list of things he was supposed to do, and he didn't walk in there expecting to meet God. And some of you, I'm going to be honest with you, Some of us came to church this morning. Some of us tuned in online this morning with this list of things to do this morning. And yet, encountering God was not on that list. And We missed joy of Christmas because we didn't expect God to do what God said He would do. And that was to show up and be in our presence. And we'll find our joy when we seek His presence, not a task to complete. We'll find our joy when we expect to encounter Him rather than just this is what we do. You see, and then we move on. And we find out in verse 14 that joy isn't good news just for us. It is joy that is meant to be shared. You see, this is great news for Zechariah and great news for his wife. This is what they've been praying for. But this isn't joy that should be contained. In verse 14, he tells us this. He says, There will be joy and delight for you. This is the angel speaking to Zechariah. He says, "This this is good for you. And I want you to see what he says. And many will rejoice in his birth. You see, this... It's a blessing for him. This is what he's been praying for. This is what he's wanted. But what the angel tells him is a message that some of of us sitting here need to hear. This is bigger than you. This is greater than you. This is the best news. Zachariah, I've got the best news that you're going to hear in the whole existence that you're on this earth. You're going to have a child, but it's bigger than you. You're going to have a child who's going to point the way to Jesus, which we'll get to in just a minute, but it's bigger than you. His presence and His birth is not just going to bring you joy. It's going to be shared with the rest of the world. And so we need to understand that we are have these moments of joy and we have these blessings not just for ourselves, but for other people as well. Take it all the way back to the promise of Abraham, the start of the Jewish people. And you go to the promise that God made to Abraham, and the promise was, listen, if you'll listen to me, if you'll be obedient to me, then I will bless you, and your descendants will be number, numerous. There'll be as many as the stars in the sky, the deserts on the seashore. And the similar story, because he, there we had a, a couple that couldn't have a child. Here we have a couple of child that couldn't have a child. And then we have the crux of the promise to Abraham. You will be a blessing to the entire world. You see, what we have in our joy in Christ is not just for you, it is for the rest of the world. Every moment of joy that we have in Christ, every moment of joy that we have, is a blessing not just for us. It is a blessing to be shared with others. We should brag about what God has done. And every blessing that we have, we should be willing to share it with the world because the blessing that God gave us was really just a channel to bless the rest of the world. It's the promise that He gave to Abraham. It's the promise that He's making to Zechariah here. And then I'll move to our last point And simply this, that the promise is not that we just find joy in ourselves and not just we find joy in this moment. The promise is you'll have joy and there will be joy. But the joy isn't your child. The joy is that your child will point others to Him. To the one that's coming. To the one who the world has been waiting for. Your joy will be that you get to point people to Jesus. Go back to verse 14 for a moment. He says, There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at His birth. Verse 15, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. See, he's referencing part of the Nazarite vow. And there's a couple differences in the Nazarite vow versus what is happening with John here. And uh, the Nazarite vow was a a kind of a dedication that that you voluntarily chose to set yourself apart and you voluntarily chose to, to follow certain rules. You wouldn't drink alcohol or you wouldn't drink beer or wine during this time and you wouldn't cut your hair during this time you wouldn't be in the presence of a dead body uh, during this time you were consecrating yourself you were setting your part yourself apart for the service of God but it was always for a limited time frame and so what the difference in that and this is is this is from birth and this isn't John saying hey I want to do this This is God's direction. This is what John is going to do. That he's going to follow these vows. And he's going to do this for the rest of his life. And that his family is going to fulfill these vows through him. They're going to make sure that he doesn't do these things. And then he tells us, and he goes on, to read a little bit further, that, it, that John is going to be set apart, but he's going to be set apart from these temporary pleasures, these things that the world will tell you will bring you joy. John's going to be separated from those things. And if we read on in verse 16 and 17, we find out why he's going to be separated from those things. Verse 16 says that he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of righteousness, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. You see, John's joy was not going to be found in the things this world said would find you joy or bring you joy. His joy was not going to be found in the beer and the alcohol and these temporary pleasures. And I'm going to tell you that some things change over time, but some things don't change. And I can tell you, we live in a world today that will tell you, if you want joy, it's in this. And then next week it's gonna be in this. Next week it's gonna be in this. Next week it's gonna be in the biggest, best thing that's out there. And this your Christmas list is gonna change 14 times between New Year or between Thanksgiving and Christmas because this is what's gonna bring you joy. And the message that John has is listen, joy is not found in any of that stuff. Joy is not found in these fleeting moments of pleasure that the world says will bring you happiness and contentment. Joy is not found in any of that. Joy is found in what His mission is, in finding what our mission is. Joy is found in preparing the way, in preparing the mission that He has called us to be on. You see, His joy is that He gets to have this message. And the message is this Messiah is coming and you should repent. You should turn back to Him. You should turn away from your sins. That you should come back to God and you should listen to Him. And you should value your families like God commanded. You should stop your disobedience and you should come to the commandments of God. That you should pursue righteousness and you should ready yourself because Christ is coming. That's the message that John was to carry out, and that's the message that he goes out into the world, and that's the message he's proclaimed. And he finds joy not in these fleeting moments of pleasure, not in these fleeting temporary things. He finds joy in pointing people not to himself, but to Christ. In fact, a little later, it's John who says that he must increase and I must decrease. You see, joy is not found in what this world has to offer Joy is found in fulfilling our mission to tell the world about Christ. It is fulfilling our mission to be on mission for Him. And so we find ourselves coming to the end of this passage, and the question is, will you find joy in Him? And for some of you, you're still wrestling with that passage in Isaiah. Some of you sitting in this room, and some of you watching online, you're still questioning this idea of joy, because you're still thinking of what it is that's your job versus what it is that's His job. And the question for you, if that's you this morning, is will you stop trying to do the work and just say, here I am. You do the work that only you can do because that's the only place you're going to find joy in Him and through Him. And for some of us, the question isn't where are we going to find our joy, but the question is what are we willing to give up to pursue joy? You see, for John, it was these temporary pleasures. And for John, it was all these things the world was pointing out. But maybe for you, it's something different. What are you willing to give up that would point other people to him? You see, true joy is not found in the things of this world that build up and tear down. The true joy is found in these treasures that lie in heaven. And true joy is watching someone do exactly what John's message was. It's to turn from disobedience to obedience. True joy is found when you watch a dad suddenly realize the joy of being a dad. And he relates to a child... Because this was God's design and He gives His life over to His family because this is the design that Christ has and suddenly He's submissive to God's Word. True joy is finding those moments when you find someone else who's ready to be obedient to Christ and you know and it's what you've been praying for for years and you see it in someone's life that you make Christ known above all else. You see, our joy is not in this world. Our joy is preparing folks for the world that is to come. And our questions that we have to wrestle with this morning, are you ready for the joy that only He can give? To say, here I am. God, do what You can do. Are you ready to find joy that comes with giving up the things this world says is full of joy only to be on mission for Him? Because our mission is to pursue Him. Our mission is to make Him known. Our mission is honestly so that we decrease and that He increases and we will find more joy in that mission than anything else in this world. Let's pray together.